It's very different to watch a movie as a 14-year-old than it is as a 33-year-old. There are some movies that, between those two ages, have a universality to them that, though you may view it differently, the joy that was first experienced from that initial viewing when you were younger transcends the jadedness and blockages of time and can still affect you each and every decade to come. Moulin Rouge (laughs) is, I think, a rather special case. I'm not going to say this is across the board, but there are parts of Moulin Rouge that do not age well, not in the sense that they are socially or politically of another time. It's not that. It is simply that the voice, uh, that of Baz Luhrmann, the director of this film, is extremely particular. You'll hear Ryan and I kind of go back and forth this episode on what exactly that voice means, is, why it feels so grating after sitting down and thinking about it. And maybe maybe a bit of this sour feeling I'm feeling as I'm talking about this film in the introduction has nothing to do with its actual makeup, but the fact that when I was 14, I, f- I believed more in the value of hope and love and truth and beauty and all these things that are expressed in this film because this movie made a case to my 14-year-old self and there's something you cannot deny as an appreciator of art as a person who goes and watches movies when you are moved you can you can come like I am right now just a little flabbergasted at the the stark difference that I feel yet the nostalgic love I feel about this particular movie and I want to preface that you know there is um, there's some shade thrown at this film in this episode but also some love so don't worry if you're still a tried and true fan of this film there will also be love (laughs) as there will always be some love in the heart of that one poor writer who lost that one poor courtesan to tuberculosis don't don't worry i I didn't spoil it for you that they ruin it at the beginning of this movie anyway here's 2001's moulin rouge A little nervous. It's just sometimes it takes a while for, um, oh. you know, inspiration to come. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Let mummy help. Hmm? Does that inspire you? <laughs> Let's make love. Make love? You want to, don't you? Well, I, I can do. Mm. No, tell the truth. Feel the poetry. Oh, come on. Oh, 
Please, take her! He's got a huge talent! Yes, I need your poetry now! All right! It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can who can easily hide. Is this is this okay? Is this what you want? Do you have something to say to me? I do. Ho ho. Ho ho. Ho ho. that's not what I was hoping you would say to me. What were you hoping I'd say to you? I was hoping that you were going to say happy wedding anniversary, Ryan. Well, that was that was days ago. That was today officially. Oh, today officially? Happy wedding day. So I want to say... So for our, for our listeners, that was one week from now. Oh, yes. So when they're hearing it, they'll be late when they wish me a happy anniversary too. And Do, do you give anniversary presents to friends? Did Yeah. Was that a faux pas? Did I not... No, uh, there's rules. Paper year one. Oh yeah that's right um you're year five tinsel on like the second year third year is like cardboard fourth year is drywall that was drywall is a good one fifth year is sod sod <laughs> what do you do with sod you put it on the ground can you do stuff it. with it yeah you can plant it okay it's grass okay well we didn't do you anything. can put it on top of a house so you make a sod house oh okay we like didn't. little little Little, little not little house. women, uh, gosh, uh, little pigs in a blanket with their house that gets blown down by a big bad wolf. Laura Jean's Laura Ingalls Wilder, little house on the prairie. Oh, little house on the prairie. Okay, I, uh, I just want to brag that we had our first like day out together without a baby. It was wonderful. It's a brag, isn't that just like normal? Normal, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, congratulations anyway for just, yeah you know getting <laughs> getting on a date getting out there without a baby latched and onto you. Do you know how hard it is to spend an entire date outdoors? <laughs> like we we did we went like antiquing too, so that part was indoors uh-huh. with masks, but like all our meals were outdoors. <laughs> it's cold in Oregon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you guys got nice jackets, right? Yeah, so we were we okay, were, but we were, still. Yeah, I mean, this is not the this is not the kind of this is the year where everybody should have invested if you had money if you had any money to invest in outdoor heaters because I feel like whoever mm-hmm. business must have been booming for them this year. When's the la- what was the last uh, thing you did on your date? What was the last date thingy you did? Last date thingy? I don't. You know, I don't actually think that Robin and I have done. Have we done an outdoor date? I've done a lot of like. We've done a lot of like to go food dates. Um, <laughs> we do that every week. We we've done like some picnics. Uh, gosh, we must have at some point in time. A lot of a lot of ours is like let's go on a walk. Oh, let's stop by. Oh, let's stop by this bakery that's selling goods out a window. That Ow! sounds nice. Yeah, you guys are living the Parisian life. Yeah, we it really like we're probably going to be moving soon. But like our our little place in Northwest Portland is. You know, nice for a walkabout. Hey, speaking of Paris, there are poll results you need to tell me about. <laughs> Charming as as ever, my friend. Um, you're right. Uh, movie that won for this month's bonus episode the film. Patreon poll. It, oh, wait, no, not. Yeah, it's 
it's not the, a bonus episode. It's a regular episode that y'all get to listen to, Patreon yeah. or not. Patreon or not, but Patreon people get to vote on what it's going to be, and they chose Whisper of the Heart, Woo! Woo! which is a Studio Ghibli movie. Miyazaki worked on it, but it has a different director. Um, it's very cool, very lovely, very quiet, like romantic, youthful film. Oh, and it's a Japanese film, and we need like more Japanese Chinese films in our rom com list. So this is great. Yes, exactly. So next week we'll have a new poll up for Patreon members to uh-huh. pick the next month's mm-hmm. uh, film. Oh, and we know what our bonus episode for next month will be too, right? Yes, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. First Wonder Woman. Yes, OG Wonder Woman. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about her and i might also be bringing a little bit of backstory to wonder woman because i'm a comic nerd you're the expert you can fill me in on stuff yeah so that's i mean that's a patreon go check it out at romcom gents um patreon.com backslash romcom gents and you can find all that stuff there uh today i posted up a uh kind of an essay more just a like a rant it's kind of like a things i figured out about films while becoming a screenwriter Right. Yeah. And I, I just highlighted a couple of those things that I figured out while learning to sc- to write um, that were highlighted by some of our movies. Um, and they were all bad things that really highlighted how to do things well by displaying how to do them poorly. That's That's the thing about when you... If you take any pursuit, whether it's screenwriting, screenwriting, or like baking, or like anything where you like really start to try and do it yourself, mm-hmm. you get so much more attuned to what's good and what's bad. Sure, and it kind of ruins some of your favorite movies because then you realize there were some like bad things to it. You're like, oh, this isn't as good now that I understand like what the mechanics are. <laughs> it's like when when you start, um, it, like if it's kind of like if you were like really digging on Twinkies and then you start baking food for yourself and like baking baked goods and you're like. Oh, Oh wow! This is this is actually amazing. And then you go back and try Twinkie, and you're like, "Well, <laughs> okay." But it, it goes both ways because you'll see what's like bad out there, but then you'll also be like, "Oh, I really underappreciated this thing. Yeah, I, I, I respect this more now." Yeah, and I mean, there's there's something about being able to fail personally and like count yourself among the like failure that you've seen and be like, I learned as probably these artists also learned in, in doing these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the noble pursuit. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of a, a, a club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, failed screenwriters club. That's the thing. Uh, if you want to be a screenwriter, every screenwriter has been rejected at least once. So <laughs> unless I, I can't think maybe Quentin Tarantino. No, he, well, he made a film before Reservoir Dogs, uh-huh. and he's basically said that doesn't exist anymore. It's like, oh, it exists. Don't <laughs> pretend like you came out a winner. Like you started out just like everybody else. Yeah, but even even people like Nora Ephron, who's a great writer in her her own right outside of screenwriting, yeah, still has stuff that misses. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, nobody's perfect. the The failed screenwriters club sounds like a that sounds like a great podcast. Yeah, that does sound like a good podcast. I was going to say it sounds like a good um, like clothing brand. Like it would just yeah. be a bunch of cardigans with holes in it. That you would find at... Like Urban Outfitters or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Ryan, what what movie are we here to... Welcome, everybody. <laughs> we don't do this. So this has to be a top of the show thing where we say what we are and who we are and what podcast we are. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Well, we are the rom-com gents. Welcome. Um, I'm Kelly McCrillis. I'm Ryan Graves. And this week we're talking about... I can't, can't, can't. That's I right. Can't, can't, can't. Moulin Rouge, 2001, Baz Luhrmann's thing. I'm... <laughs> Thing? I'm not going to call it a masterpiece. Uh, I'll leave that up to you. Why don't I tell you a story since you don't quite know what to call it? Maybe afterwards you can you can label oh, it's it. Certainly a story. Okay. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. Ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean? That's the end. That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen. That's the end of that saga. We open on a writer who is at at the end of his rope and he's tired and depressed. And this is Christian. And then he tells us a story of the Moulin Rouge. So right now we're getting a little meta. I'm telling you a story of somebody telling us a story Mm -hmm. where basically Christian, a young English boy from a conservative background, goes to Paris in order to seek the bohemian lifestyle while there, he gets conscripted into writing a script and music um, for a play for uh, Harold Ziegler, who runs Ziedler. the... Ziedler. Z- Ziedler? Ziedler. Um, he runs the Moulin Rouge, which is a bordello, uh, but also that puts on like great big shows. And as he does this, he is mistaken for a duke and then... He falls in love with Satine, who is this courtesan who is supposed to court the Duke uh, for this money, for this play that they're all trying to put on. They fall in love and they have an affair under the Duke's nose because the Duke and Satine are supposed to be together. Then they're found out and then Satine dies. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, I mean, this is basically they, they put on the play and then, you know, there's some conflict because um, they think that they think that they can have this affair and, you know, also do the play and also get money from, you know, the Duke and they can do all of this without her sleeping with the Duke. Or if she has to sleep with the Duke, they'll be okay with it because they're bohemians and they love each other and love conquers all. And then, you know, love does kind of conquer all at the end. It conquers everything, but tuberculosis, (laughs) tuberculosis. Uh, and you know, the, the dramatic, you know, stakes are the Duke, you know, is bankrolling this big play that, you know, Christian and his friends wanted to put on and it's what Zidler wants the Moulin Rouge to be is this big playhouse. But the Duke has put it into contract that he owns Nicole Kidman, Satine. Not only that, but he's holding the deeds to the Moulin Rouge. And so he can, he can basically just destroy the Moulin Rouge at will if he he wants. He has a penchant for violence. He has, he has a, a man, I would call him this, this ball. Yeah. Body man. Yeah. Yeah. Who would definitely has no compunction about killing people. And then there's music from 1999. <laughs> well, there's music from all, <laughs> all over, over the place. place. Uh, this yeah. movie loves David Bowie, yeah. which I appreciate Who about doesn't? It. So, Kelly, mm-hmm. I want to know, how do you feel about this movie? No, I want to know how you feel about this You film. want me to start? Yeah, I want you to start. I hated this movie. <laughs> And I'm sorry to everyone who has to hear me be a negative Nancy, but I'm sorry. I hated this movie. Um, this is your second time seeing it? 
it's my like I've seen it a bunch of times before. I uh, my friends in high I'm school. I'm shaking my head right now. You can't hear audience, but my friends in high school watched it all the time. So I was I was always mm. there, and sure, it was always on. So, so I was watching. It so lot. in in high school, you started off really disliking this movie too, right? I was indifferent towards. it. I was like, okay, it's on. <laughs> <laughs> um, did your friends sing it in the car? No, 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 no. Did yours? Well, okay. Well, let me. I guess <laughs> let me give my backstory on me. My being friends don't to this sing movie. anything, so maybe that was my gift. Is my song, and this one's for you. Exactly. My gift is my song. And this one's for you. See, now you're understanding <laughs> it. My, I was introduced to this movie uh, the year it came out on VHS. Because uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't see it in theaters. But my friend Jimmy introduced it to me, and Jimmy's mom and dad are both very musically inclined. And she ended up um, giving me my first voice lesson. Mm. And th- their whole family's very musical. And so he showed me this movie, and me as a young, I think I was fourteen, maybe when mm-hmm. when this movie came out, mm-hmm. and um, it really had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I being a naive fourteen year old, I just thought it was how love should feel uh-huh. and i cried at the end uh-huh. and then not only that i joined choir the next year oh and all we did was sing moulin rouge yep like i mean it's what i imagined the greatest showman is today maybe maybe I, we should talk about it if we I, haven't seen it I've no, i know i know i just know that the greatest showman is super popular i'm no, not I, i'm I think, not comparing the two movies i but. think moulin rouge when it came out was a monster it was huge you know, it was. It barely made its its hay back in the states, but globally, it was a huge hit. And you know, you had the Christina Aguilera tie-in with. Man, I watched that hour. music video a bunch of times. I can sure. Say. Uh, so, how do you feel about it now? Well, I have. I don't enjoy it on the same level anymore because I'm an adult w- who understands emotions a little bit more. Yes, I think this movie is perfect if you are alone or with like one other person watching it for the first time and i think it's perfect for the first time because you you don't take any time in this movie to stop and think about things yeah i think this movie like pulls you along very intentionally with both its its form and its storytelling to it 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 like prohibits you from thinking about it and so i think the first time if you're in the mood to see this movie and you have a sensitive heart i think it will get you but i think each subsequent time i've come back to it i've liked it less and less but you still like it you're still positive on it you would recommend it i i'm not thinking about it in those terms um i might recommend it to you if you like that kind of film out of five give me out of five Uh, for me yeah um I, I don't know. This is kind of a straight down the middle two and a half for me. Okay. Because it so is, it's, it's, it could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is a triumph. I'm going to say that it's a, it is crazy that they made this movie for 50,000 or $50, 50 million dollars. It would be crazy if it was 50,000. Well, I, I even think 50, 50 million is, is pretty crazy as well. Because if you look at other films that we've seen on our list that have just, egregiously higher budgets than that yeah that have done nothing with them um this movie's costumes dance Mm -hmm. numbers the amount of shots they got ryan like did you notice the editing in this movie uh don't get me started i have Um, a whole diatribe about the editing okay we'll we'll get to it but 
I, I, I do think that this, I do think you said it best. Uh, say the quote that you, you said to me the other day. I don't know who you were. Quoting, I think it's something but, to the effect of when it comes to Boz Lerman, you can love him, you can hate him, but you have to respect him. Right. You cannot deny that Boz Lerman is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> like, like there's, he is, he was, and he will be. There's, there are so many moments of, of this movie, and I think a lot of it is the music, yeah. where, where I, am, I am on the ride. And then as an adult, there's so many moments where I'm also like, oh, man, I... I Guys, can you give me like some chamomile tea so I can just like slow down a little bit? Yeah. Like I'm not high right now. Yeah. So I want to say, you know, before I get into things, I have a few caveats that I'm going to put out here as I, it's going to sound like I'm bashing this film and I want to make it clear that you are, I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm bashing the film and it's, it's centered in that quote I said. I respect this film, mm-hmm. and I respect Baz Luhrmann, mm-hmm. but I'm allowed to hate it. <laughs> no, no. That I mean, I think you're hating it not because of its poor quality, but that it is extremely not for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there are some things that are poor quality, and I have another caveat. Anything I have to say that's negative does not apply to Jim Broadbent. <laughs> because everything he, he does in this movie is perfect. Yeah, Jim Broadbent is generally I I'd say he's probably one of the most versatile actors that nobody knows about. He is perfect and he's versatile in this movie where everyone else isn't that versatile. Uh, he plays Zidler. He's he's Harold Zidler. And I'd say Ewan McGregor is kind of kind of nuanced in this role. Nicole Kidman, maybe she has some soft moments and some big moments, but everyone else is, I thought the just father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I think a lot of the acting in this movie is bad. Really? I think it's just bad. That's, and I, I, like I said, not Jim Broadbent, not Nicole Kidman, not Ewan McGregor. I think they're doing a really good job. I think Nicole Kidman is a little too, I mean, a lot of this movie does come off as a farce especially the villain is a farcical villain. He has this Richard Roxburgh. He has an accent and his delivery of every single line is so cartoonish that I couldn't take any, any of his lines seriously See, at I, all. For, for, I thought I think, he did. I thought he did a bad job. Okay. I thought it was like, like I said, I'm going to be on a negative ride. Sure, here. Sure. It's going to be all downhill. And I want to say, can I, can I beg something of you then? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll let you go on some diatribes, but you're going to have to, mm-hmm. you're going to have to, not go too far because uh, when one of the two of us decides to to go on diatribes, oh, I'm taking you with me. Oftentimes we're like at the point where we hate this and then this and then this and then this and then we don't get to talk about the first thing that you that you disliked. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. So Richard Roxborough, yeah, he is um, the Duke, uh, the Duke, and he is very cartoonish. But honestly, I think most of what you probably call bad acting in this film is something that I don't see as poor acting. I think these actors are all very much playing into exactly what Baz Luhrmann wanted. Right. When I say bad acting, I'm not saying this guy's a bad actor. I'm saying Baz Luhrmann got a bad performance. I'm I'm disagreeing, though. Yeah, I think it's I, a bad performance. I, I think it's... 
very much not to your taste. And I think it is very cartoonish, but I think that is exactly what Baz Luhrmann meant to make this film as. And so you're always arguing to me, you're like, got to meet the film on its level, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm saying like those characters are, are people that I can easily meet on their level, which is just as cartoonish as everything else. Uh, yeah, it is cartoonish. That doesn't make it, make it good. It just makes it cartoonish. Well, I mean, I guess we'll just differ because I think the Duke is acting on this on the same level as everybody else in this film. But that's why I do really want to emphasize uh, Zidler because he didn't come off as a cartoon. As as ridiculous, Whoa! I know, I know. As ridiculous as his persona uh, with the can can sequence and him like on stage, he has other moments. He's the only performer in this film that has really like quieter moments that I believed him as a character on the screen. I didn't, I didn't really believe anyone else. I believed you McGregor. I, I believe him as, so, okay, that's fine. Well, I liked Ewan McGregor yeah. and I, I liked and all I, of them. And I like Nicole Kidman. She, she was a little bit like, <laughs> you've done the same thing three times. Jim Broadbent. Great. Ewan McGregor. I liked him. Nicole Kidman. Good, but so we get it. <laughs> okay. Okay. But the biggest failure in this film is the, editing uh the the editing of this film like the pace of this film is as if everyone in the movie was hopped up on mountain dew on 10 espressos and they wouldn't know how to calm down and they never do calm down they calm down for like a song or two but then it's back up back up back up and i could not keep up with it i literally got sick to my stomach watching this movie the first 30 minutes literally made me nauseous i never get nauseous watching movies i got sick watching it Okay. <laughs> what, what, was it just the editing that made you sick? The editing, the pacing, and the performances, it's so manic mm. and everything that it's just overwhelming and not in a fun way, in a way that I'm at Universal Studios and SpongeBob SquarePants is coming up and dancing at me and I'm saying, get away from me now. <laughs> I don't know how to make a middle ground assertment that's as strong as, as, as you do because you said, this movie is this way. It is. Well, you can say it's not. What is it for you? Is it is it not frantic for you? Is it is it something else? Because that was my experience. Did you have a different experience? No, no. I definitely think it's um, especially the beginning of this movie. It doesn't know how to slow down for mm -hmm. sure. It doesn't make me sick. I think uh, the editor, uh, probably under the direction of Baz Luhrmann, had probably more choices in their editing catalog than maybe any other film that is this length ever. Like I'm, I'm going to challenge anybody who wants to do this, go watch any scene and note that the camera angles that they use just in a particular scene, there are multitude. It's as if they, they said, we got every possible angle on this character during this dance. You need to use all of them. Why? Well, I don't know why. I think it was a poor choice. But um, exactly, i i don't I, I don't think it's as bad. I think it's stylistically not for me. But when I was young, I really liked it. Yeah, it's um, it's like an MTV music video. It's it's just. Are you saying you don't like MTV music videos? I'm saying there's a lot of music videos that were also poorly done, but was just done to like grab your attention. But that was it. But there's no artistry. Do you to think it. that there's no artistry to this? I think I think what I think if you took what they shot and gave it to another filmmaker to finish, mm -hmm. it would have been a, a masterpiece that doesn't have this love it or hate it 
like I aspect completely to it. agree. I was think I was talking to Robin about this last night. All I want is to be given all the footage to Moulin Rouge, <laughs> yeah. which I can't like the digitized like terabytes of that have got to be ginormous. Yeah, yeah. Because I think there's there's this moment towards the end of the movie where Christian is walking away from Satine after he's, you know, paid her her money. Mm-hmm. And he's walking down this very long aisle to the exit of the Moulin Rouge. And it's the longest shot, I think, in the whole film. Uh, well, I don't know if it's the longest shot because there's a couple times during the musical sequences where they do long oneers, But it feels like the longest shot because... The, the camera is barely moving and they just don't cut and they cut back to that shot. And it feels so long and monumental. Like that moment mm-hmm. feels so monumental. And I think the reason why it felt so monumental is because we had just been going boom, 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 boom. Like this, this is the pacing of the shot sometimes. Yeah. And I think it's madness. I do think that the voice is so strong behind it though, that I don't have as like disgusted of a reaction as you. Well, it's a, it's, it's a strong voice, but Michael Bay has a strong voice too. Like Mm -hmm. no one's, no one's denying Michael Bay. Like, it's not like he has a lack of style either, but I think that Michael Bay has the same problem in the Transformers films than he does that Baz Luhrmann does in this film, especially Transformers too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just incessant cutting because it wants you to feel this chaos and that's cheating. That that's no, it's not. Yeah, it's cheating. What do you it's mean for, cheating? Un- this, all editing is manipulation. We yeah. know this from from merch. When you like the rule, the the rule I think is stated best. <laughs> and forgive forgive the pretension when I when I quote a French New Wave director. But Jean Luc Godard said, "Truth is told at twenty four frames per second, and every cut is a lie." And I think that's true when you're looking at a film. When you cut, you're reminded that you're not looking at reality. That's fine because you can conjure a new one. But it's also reminding you that you blink. Right. But it's happening so often that it's not creating any new meaning. It's just creating chaos and it's just creating a muddle. Well, I'm not getting it's I, it's like someone just throwing in commas just randomly at sentences. Like it doesn't make sense to have those commas where they are. Same I, thing here. It doesn't make sense to have I don't these agree. Cuts I don't agree across happen. the board. But why what what I, you're you're saying the whole thing is like this. I'm saying that there there are nuance sometimes and sometimes it's really nice. It it almost Got even there. even in the quick, there was a couple of sequences where it almost got there. I was like, "Please, please, don't cut! Don't!" <sighs> Why did you cut? See, like I said at the beginning, you have to be if you're going to enjoy this movie, you have to give into the emotions of it. I and I couldn't get into the emotions. I know, I know, because you were thinking about it. Because I was distracted by the insecure filmmaking. Insecure. Yeah, it's he is so desperate to hold your attention. He's just throwing the kitchen sink at you with I, stylistic flourishes. I don't I personally, I don't think that's what he is doing. What is he doing? I think he's trying to create a style that is bombastic the way that the Moulin Rouge seems bombastic. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree that it's way over the top. I don't think it's for humans. <laughs> like, like I, I, I think it's for teenagers and hummingbirds. But at the same time, there are moments in the like, let's the like, for instance, when they um, start going into Nirvana, and it's like, here we are now, mm-hmm. and, and those shots, like the like the symmetry of all those dancers and yeah. the shots, and like when they stop, and there's like 
just five super drunk guys saying, entertain us. It felt like I was watching an episode of The Muppets. No, that was good. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you're you're broad washing this as, as like kind of all attention grabby. And I think, I think the, the style is, I, I don't want to call it disingenuous like that. I don't want to say that it's attention seeking and insecure. I, I just think that it's, I mean, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a little, I'll, I'll give in a little bit. Like maybe, maybe there is a, a lack of like trusting. And I, I did feel that in the Roxanne scene because yes. great, great scene. Yes. I want to say that like the music's great. The yes. dancing is fantastic. Yes. Yes. But the dancers in that scene were doing so many good things that you only got we for missed. a second. We yeah. missed everything good that those performers were doing because you kept cutting yeah. away from it. And, and in, in stuff like that, where I'll forgive it for the first scene because there he's trying to create this weird world that Christian has been sucked into. It's motivated in the first act. Right. Even though you, it really was the act that turned you off most. It's still overwhelming, but at least it makes sense. Right. And the, it slows down in the editing throughout the film, but not enough to forgive its overall style. I think the Roxanne sequence is the best example of what we're complaining about is because it has the music itself. They did such like, the music, let's say what's really good about this movie, the music across the board, like I would totally own the CD soundtrack. The music is really good. Well, see, I I think part of the reason why our generation really loved this movie mm-hmm. was because after we watched the movie, we loved the music so much, we went out and bought the soundtrack yeah. and we would sing it in the car all the time yeah. or at my house, like me and like six choir pe- kids would just be hanging out and that would be on in the background. And then we'd all stop what we're doing and go, my gift is my song. Right. And you know, you know there's a little bit of cheating in that, in the sense of Baz Luhrmann's like, uh, I like this. I like this. I like this. He just went out and stole you know, all this music. And I, okay, I don't Okay. Fault- hold no, on no, a listen. second. That's just the style of finish. a jukebox musical. Let me musical. finish. Let me finish. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you say he stole it though. Yeah. I go ahead. Good artists borrow, great artists steal. That's what you do. <laughs> go ahead. That's what you do. I'm just saying we're saying, oh, Moulin Rouge, the music is so good. It's like, well, the music is good because of Elton John, because of David. I Bowen, mean, that doesn't discount the performances. Though. No, I know. It almost just highlights how good those songs originally are as well. Exactly. Um okay, let's we we've 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 jumped on the the understanding why this movie can rub people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um I want to talk a little bit about the romance. Because that's what we're here to talk yeah, about. Yeah, the romance. So <laughs> so the reason why I loved it as a 14-year-old is because it's like it starts off fun, right? It's it's a it's very Shakespearean. Yeah. It, there's miscommunication about who the duke is and so you, you, like Nicole Kidman is trying to seduce Christian even though she doesn't know he's a penniless writer. I'm a writer. <laughs> and she's just like, "Oh." Yeah. <laughs> and like how do, do you feel that acutely, Ryan? Uh, I felt yeah. it acutely. Uh, I mean, well, we have wives who knew what they were getting into, though. No, okay, but I'm sorry. Like, if, were you ever out at a place where, like, a party or at a bar or just somewhere where you were meeting people and, like, you know, you're talking to that person who is obviously wanting to meet, like, an investment banker or something, and then they're like, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a writer. And they're like, cool. Well, I'll be over there now. <laughs> Yeah, I've been to some like parties where I'm meeting people and they're like, yeah, I'm like an engineer at Intel. I'm like, cool, cool. Last night I served five cheeseburgers to people. Yeah, that's definitely what it felt like. 
<laughs> um, but so they, they meet each other. And then I think this is a good scene where she's trying to like seduce him. And he's just like doing double innuendos. Cause he thinks that she's there to listen to him pitch a, a show. Yeah. It's, it's good comic comic stuff. What's, what is it called? Ribald humor? What's, what's just dirty 19th century humor? Yeah. Like just, is it ribald or ripe? Ribald? Ribald? <laughs> but whatever it is, it's fun, dirty humor of the 19th century, like, persuasion. Yeah. Turn like, of the century. <laughs> he's got a huge talent. <laughs> so. um, that's like Toulouse. Dude, you're so dirty. <laughs> what do you think of John Leguizamo in this movie, by the way? Bugged the hell out of me. Just the voice? Just over the top, everything. Just like, I like John Leguizamo, but it's just... Let's make, let's give him an accent. Let's make him a dwarf. Let's do all this. It's like, can you just pick a speed and stick with it? Like, I feel like, I feel like he, like Baz Luhrmann is throwing these like character details on top of things where it's like, you're, you were good 10 steps ago. You keep adding, throwing things on top of these characters. It's okay. And I like, I would have liked John Leguizamo as just another person, but no one is allowed to be another person. This, they have to be, there's all these other layers that, like I could barely understand him in the first place because his accent is so thick, mm-hmm. um, and he's just kind of weird, which is fine. But I could—it's just he bugged me. I yeah, I, I don't know. I think he. I love his screaming of the big line at the end. Yeah, that was a great moment. That's good. I actually like when he's uh, when he sings quietly. How wonderful I feel now. I think this movie's best parts are its quiet moments, which are so far far and few in between. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, we'll get, I want to bring up John Leguizamo later Mm -hmm. because I think this, this movie, when we rewrite the movie, I want to talk about how this movie could have taken out one sequence of songs and built so much more character mm-hmm. that it might have saved a little bit of this movie for me. Okay. But we can uh, put that on this table right here. Thanks. Can you put a coaster under that? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. But the love. What what ends up changing things? Because Christian thinks that she's hot and then she thinks he's a duke. And so that's like at first all that there is. And then she hears him sing and like kind of sing poetry at her. And then she says she's fallen in love with the Duke and then she realizes he's not a Duke. And so you're like, oh, she must just be putting that on. And then they have the elephant love medley. So there's obviously attraction there at Mm -hmm. first. And then they sing to each other where he convinces her that opening herself to falling in love with him is worthwhile. It's it's I mean, we know that this is very stupid. Like there's nothing but star crossed lovers in um, Baz Luhrmann films like he mm-hmm. liter- he did Romeo plus Juliet. Um, this is the same thing Robin has told me in um, Strictly Ballroom. Uh, there's like a class difference between lovers in Australia. This is what he does. Um, the, the love between Christian and Satine in this film is the same depth of love between two 14 year olds. Yeah, it is. It is basically Romeo and Juliet where neither of the, but I think it makes sense to me because of one line. Um, Christian says he's never been in love. Like he's at first, he's like, he wants to write about truth, beauty and love, but he's never been in love. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is the love of somebody who hasn't even been close to being in love before Mm -hmm. because he doesn't think he just acts, you know, he, 
he can barely leave the room when the Duke is in there and they're trying to like get him out either that or it was bad blocking, but he's just like kind of slowly walking out. And then he's like, make sure you don't sleep with him. And she's like, okay, just leave. I won't. It's yeah. my job. But, and she finally has somebody who like, isn't just trying to sleep with her at first anyway. Mm-hmm. And that allows her to be a little bit more open and vulnerable and, it gives like the way she explains it to Ziedler. It's like, he sees me for who I am, mm-hmm. which is something that she needs a lot. And so we can get it. We can, I can, I can get it at least that these two people can fall in love with each other. Yeah. It's, I think the love story in this movie is very, uh, surface level. Um, what's the word? The opposite of deep shallow, not, not shallow, just <laughs> superficial. It's a very superficial love story where they're like, Hey, you're hot. I'm hot. We Let's, both sing great. You like the poetry in me. I like you and diamonds or no diamonds because I can't buy you diamonds. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. And it's this thing. It's what gets them in trouble. Yeah. Because if they if he could just be like, OK, look, I really like you. I know you have to do this Duke literally. Mm. But when when like he has financed the show and you've slept with him for it then we can get together, then this would all be solved, right? But jealousy gets in the way. Well, jealousy gets in the way because he's never fallen in love before. Right. I'm not going to say that people who aren't 14 years old, that they're not allowed to feel jealous. Of course, this is like a universal thing. But the like passion behind like the conflict would speak to young people most of it, all. Very much so. Um, how old do you think he's supposed to be in this movie? 20? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And Satine, maybe a couple years older. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not bothered by the superficiality of this love story. It's mm-hmm. like good and like it's good enough for me because in musicals, I don't need that deep of a love story. Like in American in Paris, it's just as superficial. Like mm-hmm. Gene Kelly just loves her because. 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 <laughs> exactly. It's what it means is I like the songs in this movie more than I like their their romance. It's not like at the end of this movie, I'm I'm sad that she dies and I'm sad that they're not together, but it's not like I see it as this all time great love story. Yeah. And I think, um, in terms of like having a story tethered to the music that you have in your musical, it's, it's all good for me. And I don't think there's any failings in the, the composition part, because if you take an American Paris, Gene Kelly is on the river thing. Tem? No. Uh, what is the river? I've never in Paris? been there, so I don't have to know this. I have. I've walked by the banks of the. It's not the Rhine. That's in Germany. <laughs> but he's on this river. He's walking Shit. with with her, and he says, or he sings, "It's very clear our love is here to stay." Mm-hmm. And there's nothing. I mean, "Singing in the Rain" is a jukebox musical, right? Both of those films, I mean, Seeing the Rain, I think, actually does a little bit more work to, like, make us believe in this love story. But in American Paris, it's just as superficial. So yeah. I'm going to go with that as my, like, go-to sure. comparison. And for me, for me, I'm like, I'm in, baby. I like this music. I'm getting pulled in with the music. And I like this love story because of the music. I think it's the same thing with Moulin Rouge. The music is so good that I'm like, yeah, I'm into their love story. There's not a lot to it. But that's what a pop song is anyways. It's just this big, beautiful thing about the big abstract thing like love and Mm -hmm. and i'm in so like i said music great good job storytelling good enough 
Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of music, there must be the the its own challenges making a jukebox musical the way that they did this because the Elephant Love medley combines something like nine or ten different songs, mm-hmm. and they have to act out the story of the verses of those songs that they've taken from. Right. Yeah, and and so, I think they cheat. I think they fudge some lyrics. I don't. I, I think don't know they if they fudge do. a couple of lyrics. Maybe, uh, maybe. Do but they fudge I, heroes? I feel like heroes got shifted a little bit. We could be heroes forever and ever. We could be heroes just because I will always love you. Um, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's good. Th- I remember when you and I were first arguing about this movie, like probably nine years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't um, we get like drunk? And, we like, got really argue drunk about- <laughs> at the sandwich bar at Bunk Sandwiches. That's and- right. And um, we're probably arguing way louder than people. This is why we needed the podcast. This yeah, is why our needed, wives made us do this podcast. We need an outlet. Um, but you said that it's you. You were like, it's just melodrama, right? Mm. Which um, I don't think is. I, I I was really looking at that in this film, um, like whether melodrama, um, it being like the most melodramatic thing in this movie, is the fact that we, the audience, know that she's dead at the right. beginning of the film and we know that she's dying throughout the film. Yeah. And she doesn't know she's dying until like most of the way through this, but ha- knowing that kind of puts a timeline on our film in a similar way that like American beauty does where mm-hmm. it's like, Hey, I'm just going to let you know right now at the beginning that this part of the movie ends in death. Right. But I really thought as a device for this film, it was the correct one. Yeah, I think they wanted to do a tragedy that was on the same basic level as Romeo and Juliet. And so, sure, I'll I'll take it. Maybe I was a little harsher towards it nine years ago, mm. but but I'll take it now because I need to not be hypocritical and be like, well, I like American Paris, but not Moulin Rouge. It's like, come on, if you're going to be really lenient towards the nothing love story in American Paris, then you need to take the same leniency towards Moulin Rouge. So. I, I wonder, most of the way through this film, they are separated because she basically dumps him in order to save his life. Yeah. Which I thought her being forced into that situation also, like, I was just like, yeah, this is the beat I need you to hit right now. Mm-hmm. Film. Also, Jim Broadbent's best scene where he's, like, telling her to leave him. I yeah. thought he was so, like, still Ziddler, but, like, on this, like, l- he's he's playing this kind of lowness to it where I'm just like, ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally Well, it's in. because, like, I mean, he is, he is a guy that he's... A maitre d' basically where he's putting on a face, right? Yeah. And we only really get who he is by himself when he's being serious with Satine. He's, yeah. he's kind of a dad. Yeah. Although she does. But he's she, also a dick. Yeah. She does make the point like, you thought I was, you, you're basically my pimp. <laughs> so, yeah. He really is. Um, yeah. It's, it's a musical. Um, it's an opera. It's an operetta. Yeah. It's, it's big emotions. And that's what brings me back to being so negative is that I'm so sad because I could have felt all the big emotions in this movie. Well, that's what I was getting to. Did you feel it when no. she died at the no. end? Not no. not anything? I didn't feel you, anything. You were just stone? Because I was looking at this all these series of images that was just <laughs> limp on the screen because the filmmaking had done it such poor justice. Because the music was there, the emotion and the performances were there. And I think that's a a lot of it has to do with the post production aspect of like all the music was you know recorded later or recorded beforehand so they but whatever but it was a different it wasn't the filmmakers doing it it was these performers getting those emotions there but because the editing had done them such a disservice I couldn't feel the emotions right well 
Yeah, that's what I was wondering because I thought that the whole last scene while she's dying in their backstage was shot very beautifully and edited yes. well as well. Uh, yeah, the the it's, that scene I don't really have any complaints about. And but, but you couldn't feel anything at that point. No, because you got to build it up for me. Like you got to like I got to be attached to these characters way before that. Mm-hmm. Like I got to be attached to them at the beginning of the film or near the beginning of the film. And like I can be detached at the first act when it's like all chaos and it's like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy to be here at the Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I don't need to attach anyone right now. But when I'm, when they're starting to fall in love with each other, I need to be on board. But because they kept cutting so much, I couldn't hold on to their faces. I couldn't hold on to the emotion of each take mm. because you would cut away too quickly. Well, I couldn't read, I couldn't read them. Yeah, I get you. I, I, it's not that, that bad for me. I could so you you felt it, yeah, for sure. But why why did it work for you? I mean, I didn't have those problems. But but what works about it? What's good about it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The I enjoy the performances of both Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. I think they have chemistry together. Do you, do you agree? Um, because it, it feels yes. it feels like it's it's not necessarily that like this this stuff doesn't work for you. It just feels like this the editing punched you in the dick so many times that you couldn't feel anymore. Uh, I wouldn't put it in such terms, but I would put it in near nearby terms. I would put it uh, a cousin term to that. I mean, even when it's the Roxanne theme, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's the dark night of the soul for um, Christian because he's just sitting in the theater, like just imagining the Duke and Satine having sex upstairs. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it would be a rough moment, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I connect. Even though like the scene, like distracted me a little bit this time, where I was like, ah, oh, you're you're missing some of the good like shots that you could be getting. Mm-hmm. That academic part of my brain, I am able to set aside, and it's able to not like affect me and make me hate. I don't it. think this is academic. I think this is emotional. Cutting is emotional. Editing is emotional. No, I agree. I agree. But it's I am I am able to take that thing which is bothering me about this and say, you've set me up since the beginning to like kind of be in this mode. And since it gets slower and slower throughout the film, by that point in time, I'm on board with their relationship. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, it's not like c- I don't come un- what may is, is such a slow theme of like them falling in love and being with each other and singing at each other and him like saying, we'll come up with the song and no matter what, will love each other. Yeah. And you're right. It's superficial, but it, it really gets me on board with the relationship. I think if I saw this whole thing live, I would be crying at the end of it. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it does seem like uh, it should have been a stage production, like and a Broadway a, show. There is a stage sure. production that came out a couple of years ago. Oh yeah. Um, I would be on board because they wouldn't be able to do the things that bother me. They wouldn't be able to cut. They would be stuck with staging it and they would have to be stuck with moving and, and staging things so that they can move between all these things, mm-hmm. which itself would be really exhilarating to watch. Sure. Uh, you know what I really love is the production design. I think everything this film looks is kind of masterful, just reference level mm-hmm. that especially the the third act when we see the, the play within the movie, this like... Uh, the Maharajas, whatever is, what 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 where is where are they? Where is the what's that show set in? 
Like, is it set in India? Like, yeah, they, with all they those... say it's set in India because at first it was going to be Switzerland and then they change it to India. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was exquisite. And I thought every sequence, like Nicole Kidman's Diamonds Girl Best Friend, just the production design, the costume design, the her necklace that she gets later, that big diamond necklace. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Well, it was, it was nominated if it didn't... I think it won for Best Costume that it year. It better have. Yeah. So those things, I want to say flat out, masterpiece quality mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, do you have anything to say on the matter no no i agree concur? yeah i agree <laughs> okay i think the the technical aspects of this film um other than the editing are very masterfully done i i even liked the color i it wasn't anything super special to write home about but i liked how saturated it was mm-hmm. um it seemed to fit to the rest of the world I, I like that this whole thing felt like it was shot on like in a section of Paris, but also a back lot. Yeah. Um, like where we get a lot of shots that go from the Moulin Rouge past the elephant through these, <laughs> the, the magical windmill that can change time. <laughs> yeah. And into Christian's like old, um, like apartment that used to be a newspaper. And yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's kind of magical. And what I think this film should be lauded for because like even with this crazy editing that you know kind of took you out of the movie there were there were bits of it that i thought were so just inspired mm-hmm. where i can maybe the meetings were done on some form of drugs when they were like figuring this out but like the when when all of them all the guys wearing top hats in the moulin rouge throw the top hats up in the air mm-hmm. and then it cuts out to like the ECU of Paris. Yeah. And you just see all of Paris and then you see the hats in the distance flying up from the Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Or like the fact that the moon sings. Did did you notice that? I like that that the moon sings, but it kind of (laughs) ruined the song for me. Oh, really? (laughs) Just because it was one dynamic range too far where it was making their love song comical. I'm like, I don't want to be laughing. I want to be like gushing. Um, but I liked I liked the look. I liked this happy moon smiling at them. Yeah, he had a mustache and he was like kind of operatic. Yeah, I don't know. Like um there's there's something and it could be a little bit nostalgia, but it's a it's a nostalgia that sticks for me even under scrutiny that mm-hmm. the style of this film outside of the editing is something that I would like to see more of. I really like the abstraction of the sets when they That's, like, yeah. when they go up, th- it's like their Aladdin moment where they're like in the clouds and like, yeah, uh huh. He's like on the Eiffel Tower at one point in yeah, time. Yeah. And suddenly Paris is so much smaller and they're like these giants in this abstracted version of this Paris. Is, this is what I'm talking about because I think another movie would have made it a little bit more CG rather than practical. Yeah. But like, when when whenever they're climbing up the elephant, yeah, or inside the elephant, like how many colors and layers of like beauty, like this this whole movie seemed for for as bombastic as it was, it seemed very cohesive in style, right? Yeah, and that, I think that it should be praised for that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, and that's why I feel like it could have been a for it could have worked for me if a different filmmaker edited because it all, all the other elements were on film, mm. it was all captured. It was all done. All those other things were done correctly, and I, I really, like I said, I would, I would love to hear the soundtrack on its own, and I would, I would probably just be moved if I closed my eyes and listened to the movie. Yeah, them singing um, "Come What May" as the Duke is charging them with the gun. Yeah, like 
if if you aren't if you aren't filled with goosebumps or fear at that moment from watching it, I think it could still get you via mm-hmm. the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you one sequence that I flat out loved and I wouldn't change anything is the Like a Virgin sequence. Like a virgin. Touch for the very first time. With but, but you Zidler didn't like the, the Duke. You didn't like the cartoonishness of the Duke, so I thought that would have been your least favorite scene. That's the only one where it worked because it's such a comic sequence that him the Duke being so comical is like, well, this scene's supposed to be funny. So this works for me. Like it works for like the present moment of they're doing this really goofy sequence where they're where it's kind of disgusting what they're singing about. Oh yeah. But it's so it's so it's done so comically that I'm just I, I feel like I'm enjoying it the way that they want me to enjoy it. Yeah, me too. I like it was hilarious for us back in the day. Like it was just one of the funniest scenes that we'd ever seen put on film. Yeah. Um what was your what was your like favorite sequence? Um, because mine's like a virgin, like a virgin's great. I like the come what may song. Mm-hmm. I I mean, it's the only original one in the movie. The reason why it, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure the reason why it didn't win best Oscar wasn't even nominated for best Oscar, uh, for best original song is because it was actually written for Romeo and Juliet, ah. but it just didn't premiere there. They decided to use it in this film instead. Ah. But I think it's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. I think um, their harmonies in it are striking and perfect for their range. I think there's this, these looks that they give each other where I'm I'm also at the same time as loving it. I'm just like wanting to grab Christian by the neck and just be like, the Duke is right there. He <laughs> can see you. <laughs> Do not seek the treasure. Right there. Watch the picture. But like just the way that they're singing to each other and giving each other these like mm, looks like there's been never been a like more beautiful couple in a beige apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was good. Okay. Well, let's take a break. Yes. And then when we come back, we're gonna have trope talk. Hey everybody, welcome back to trope talk, a segment that is so consistent it lives up to its name. Nice. What trope you want to talk about, right? Oh, um, let's talk about antagonists. Because I want to talk about the Duke more. And I think it'd be good to talk about what a good rom-com villain is in romance stories. I think it'd be good to kind of talk about uh, what common hallmarks of rom-com villains Yeah, yeah, I like this. Okay. Uh, Evil mustache, obviously. Like, this guy has uh, one of those mustaches that make you not want to sit on his face. He very nearly was twiddling that mustache. It was so close. Uh, Ziedler has a twiddleable mustache, but it's fun. Yes. I would have been okay with that. I'm like, you twiddle that mustache. I think, I think, I think you have broadbent blindness here because I think he's extremely good, but I think he's very cartoony and I think you just love him so much. If I could have had just a little bit of that broadbent depth Mm -hmm. to what this guy's doing, then I would have been forgiving, but I saw no depth. Yo, no, this guy is... No doubt. He's not necessarily evil to his core. It's just that we kind of get that he is aristocracy, one, who gets everything he wants Mm -hmm. because he's rich. 
mm-hmm. right? And he also has a violent streak to him where he's both a fool and violent, which almost makes him more dangerous um, or more more passionately dangerous than somebody who is not a fool and violent. Right. But he all those things put together still create a flat character. Like there's yep. no there's no dimension to it. And it's kind of like this movie is the antithesis of the ethics of a Miyazaki verse where characters don't really live in a good camp or a bad camp. They just live in camps of misunderstood or just misguided and or evil with reason. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and this guy's just a dick. Yeah, he is a dick, but like, I don't think there's a sympathetic bone in my body for him, uh but putting myself in like a situation like that, like if I, if I'm like, okay, let's say that I am an aristocrat who wants to fund this play. I'm going to contractually buy this woman. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's going to work out great for me. I'm trying to find some sort of depth to his story because like- we're not given it. We could have been given it. Like, if all it was was that he just had a traumatized youth, then I would no, have been like... I don't like, even think we need that. I think we just need that that he actually has real feelings for Satine. Uh, yeah, but he's very Sith-like towards her. He's just very possessive. He just is just like, she will be mine. I can't even do his accent. It's, right. It's, it's, um, but he doesn't do it to her until later, right? He's just, he's machinizing and trying to- He's just to, biding his time until right. he can possess her and right. be done with her. Which is crazy that he's like, like, what, is, what does Satine think is going to happen after this? Like, uh, because you yeah. can't, like, I don't know if he would have- contractually like how, I'm trying to think what, what year is this? This is 1800s. Uh, turn of the century, 1899. I mean, I think slavery is illegal in France <laughs> right? at this point in time, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he's, he's not necessarily a, he's not a depthful villain. He's, he's basically the emperor. So a fun romantic rival is forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Where you can see the appeal. Because what's fun about Russell Brand in that movie is that even Jason Siegel's like, fuck, man, you're cool. Right. Because he he is the opposite of caring about all the problems that everybody else is caring about. Yeah. And we 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 don't. He's a musician. We don't like him because he's literally an antagonist. He's getting in the <laughs> okay, way. Let's compare uh, Aldous Snow. Oh, right. Hey, I'm Aldous Snow. I know who you are. Yeah, you're very, very famous. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. With the Duke. The pleasure I fear will be entirely mine, my dear. I'll leave you two squirrels to get better acquainted. Ta-ta. Okay. <laughs> so, Aldous Snow can sing. Ancient skies, these wandering eyes. The Duke cannot, cannot sing. sing. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. Uh, Aldous Snow, rich, doesn't act like it. The Duke, rich, but acts like it. Rich wants you to know it. Yeah, wants you to know it, Rich, is the worst rich. Aldous Snow will sleep with anybody. The Duke only wants to sleep with Satine. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's got his standards, I guess. Aldous Snow, a much better, like, romantic rival. Yeah. However, I'm trying to think of other romantic, like, hardline romantic movies that I've seen that actually have depthful villains. Well, I just want to f- say... F- you know, why I picked Aldous Snow is because of the fact that he is a legitimate rival. Right. The Duke is not a legitimate rival to not, Satine's love. Not for her love. heart. 
No, no, but, but this movie's not even talking about. I that. guess my my point is, what is Christian to be jealous of? She's never going to love the Duke. Yes, she's going to sleep with them. That, be- I get that. It's because I mean, it's because he's this is his first love, and he thinks love should be pure, and love doesn't love doesn't have like an understanding of other people's needs. It's a very selfish love, right? And I want to break it to Christian. She's probably slept with other dudes. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like. I, Robin, Robin and I were kind of making this point as we were watching this movie. It's like Christian, like you know, she slept with other people. Just because she fell in love with you doesn't mean that that changes based on her continuing to do her job. Like people in that work in the sex industry nowadays, like must have to deal with that problem all the time when they're dating. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing where maybe the biggest narrative failing is that fact is like he is not a real romantic rival. He's just some dick who wants to own Satine, but he doesn't pose a existential threat to Christian as a lover. No, I, I think part of this problem is as well that like it's so muddy what Christian knows about the contract. Because if if there was a hardline end where like Satine knew she was bought and paid for, and we knew that Satine right. knew, and Christian also knew, and they knew that there was this wall that they were coming up against. Yeah. Since they don't know that, it might be a little forgivable, but if they did, it's like either this is all they've got, and so they need to pour all their love into it until she is taken away. Yeah. Or it would be Christian convincing her to leave much more fervently. Right. But you know, that stuff builds up the tragic miscommunications and that's what all tragedies and like Shakespeare's cycle at least is like, if only these characters had cell phones, right? stuff like that. If like only Christian actually knew the terms, then he'd be like, Oh, uh, okay. I can deal with it for two weeks. Yeah. I can deal with it. I can deal with yeah, it. Yeah. If, if it was like, he wasn't buying her outright necessarily, but the Duke was like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm going to be able to have sex with her for two weeks. And Christian be like, okay, so Satine, I'm going to be at the, I'm going to clean the entire elephant. I am going to get a steady job. <laughs> I, I'm going to make sure that you have a bath ready for you ready every and, single day when go. you come home. Um, and then like they could have had a great life after that. Yeah. So because she would have been like a great actress. It seems like everybody loved the show. But, you know, operetta tragedy. Granted, she's dead at the end of this movie. So so I don't matter. know what we're talking. But operetta tragedy plotting. I'm fine with it. I, I don't need to lose that stuff. But yeah. but I'll just know. I, I I get connected to Jason Segel in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, really, where I'm really intimidated by him. Right. Right. Where. Whereas with the Duke, we're just intimidated because of his threat. It's not a romantic threat. It's a like physical harm. But it's, yeah, it's just kind of a flat threat where it's like, well, yes, bad, duh, mm-hmm. duh, bad. Mm-hmm. Would it have changed this movie for the better, though, if he was an actual romantic threat? Yeah, because there would be so much more to it. I there think we'd have s- to take away, I think you're. I think you're right. I think we'd have to take away something about him this is what i don't understand why did why does he have to be uh composed so farcically so comically why not make him an actual romantic threat where he is intimidating the way that aldous snow is intimidating i think why not i think that's a good rewrite do you want to rewrite the movie let's rewrite it you write your first draft with your heart and you rewrite with your head Rewrite the Duke. The Duke is terrible in this movie, just all across the board. Give me something three-dimensional that makes him legitimately 
imposing on Christian. Like Christian is like, I don't know how I'm going to compete with that guy. Cause not only like I can't compete with him financially, but he's, he's creative too. He's the one bankrolling this play and he's the one who has all this taste. I really think that if, um, if you got rid of him purchasing Satine, made him a little less arch as a villain and um, just had him hold the deed to the Moulin Rouge, yeah. but make him extremely attractive and maybe even also like a person that sings in this make movie. Him, yeah, make him poetic. But like, no, like there's something we as the audience know that we know that he's a bad guy. Yeah, it's the same thing with like Beauty and the Beast where Gaston, it's like, dude, it's never going to happen. Yeah, um, but I mean, at least Gaston is like, you know, imposing, I guess. Like he's <laughs> he's he's at least a little bit more interesting than this Duke. Like yeah. he's he's gross. I hate Gaston. <laughs> I'm not trying to root for Gaston here, but if we're comparing villains. But even Beauty and the Beast has something deeper yeah. <laughs> going on. Love Beauty and the Beast. Um Exactly. The but you're right. I think if we if we made him a romantic rival, what what would Christian bring to the table that is winning? Is it his kindness? Is it his... It's his humility because uh, I think what they could have done is like, this rival's got a lot going for him, but his like crutch, this richness, this uh, class identity it will always define him and always and Satine will always see through it. You know who's a an interesting rival that's like this is that episode of Firefly where Malcolm Reynolds is invited into the upper crust. Oh uh-huh, yeah. The the way that his rival treats Inara is who is basically also a courtesan just like Satine is he treats her like a courtesan in public mm-hmm. where he doesn't treat her like another human that should be respected necessarily. Mm-hmm. He He's like, no, you're my property right now. Right. And if that's how the Duke ended up treating her and she like fell in love with Christian because he would always treat her as an equal. That's, that's the story we would want to see. But Baz Luhrmann wasn't out to make this story. Right. But, like, I don't think there's any moment where he's trying to pretend that any of this has depth. I mean, I think Christian and Satine are not nearly as two-dimensional. Uh, no, I, as our as our romantic heroes, no, they're not as two-dimensional. But they they don't have a lot of depth for our main characters. No. Um, like, it's enough. Like, it's we literally get Satine looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to become an actress, you know? Like it's, and we're like... <laughs> oh honey <laughs> oh, but i mean she she's good right she is i mean she's nicole kidman so of course she's amazing but it's something that probably could have happened with the right backing and the right like bacterial load being much lower in her body <laughs> god um, damn tuberculosis that's that's the only thing about these kind of stories is like if only tuberculosis didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> and you can't do anything about that no no you can't not not at the time no and like it, she they just pump her full of morphine a couple of times sweet tranquilizer dirt that's what but it's it's more fun when it's something like a war where it's just like these dynamic things where it's just like oh if they only didn't fall in love at this time right well because there's a chance of survival right right and with tv it's like you're probably dead yeah in the movie even it's like well satine's doomed so anything that happens this hmm. right and and that's the other thing it's like okay let's say let's say christian fails his mission the duke is going to lose anyways because satine dies right 
right when he's going to have her anyways. Right, but the, this movie sets it up that the the greatest thing in life is to love and, and to be loved in return. And so that's what that's what the Duke will never have that Christian always will. And so that's winning. Yeah. The Duke will always lose. Yeah. Not not because she dies, but because she'll never love him. And the Duke never had a chance. So in in our version, just give the Duke a chance. Hey, give the Duke a chance. Give the Duke a chance. <laughs> All right. We, we, you know what we need is a t-shirt that just <laughs> says, give the Duke a chance. <laughs> People will be like... <laughs> what it's like no. no 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 you have to listen to our episode you- <laughs> yeah no and i want him on the back but with his arms kind of raised in a question like why maybe, not maybe me maybe the duke i did <laughs> some line readings did come off perfectly where he's like <laughs> look at this frog where he's like i don't like it <laughs> yeah no that's very good i don't like the ending <laughs> which was good and again like a virgin sequence all perfect before we get to what we loved best about this movie mm-hmm. I just want to say that I'd like to rewrite the movie as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think you strip out the entire like five minutes of the sequence before Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know. I, I think you could trim a bunch of fat off this mo- film. And you develop John Leguizamo's character. Mm-hmm. And maybe even the other actors or all the other musicians by proxy. Yeah. And like, kind of give him some depth. Like, how did he end up in this place? It doesn't have to be a lot. It can just be like bits and pieces of dialogue here and there where we know where he's from. We know he can't go home for some reason. Or we know that like, you know, maybe he was like made fun of where he used to be because he's John Leguizamo and he's super short. Mm -hmm. And like, like the early or the late 1800s were not kind to people who Mm -hmm. were dwarves and... Yeah, that's what he calls himself. He's yeah. like, I may be just a dwarf. And like he's saying, like, this area, the reason why Bohemia and its ideals should exist is because it's accepting, mm-hmm. right? Because this movie fucking like it gets all high school musical at certain points in time. I don't know if it's in the rehearsals or towards the end where they're like putting their fists in the air. And yeah. It's beauty, truth, and love. And it's such bullshit. Because <laughs> I believe in those things too, but what this movie is saying is like all evil comes from like money and the need for money and those who in power who have money, right. which is true. But as a young artist who is poor myself, I'm telling you that the struggle is much more like, yeah, society. Sure. But the struggle is much more like, okay, how do I put food on my table today? I care about truth, beauty and love, but I need to put food on my table so that I can make something that like convinces the world that that is more it's more necessary yeah and this movie is just like it, it's it's like going back and watching rent sometimes yeah where i'm like yeah no i get it like if all of your ideals are fantastic and i'm i'm all i'm here for it but you got but, to pay your goddamn rent yeah it's like you you guys should also like Figure out how to pay rent too. Like, <laughs> you got to pay last year's rent. You got to pay this year's, year's rent. rent. Next year's, next rent, year's rent. You got to pay rent, you guys. Like, I don't want to pay rent either. I get it. But all the theater kids are just like, <sighs> no, I was a theater kid too. <laughs> Trust me, I was there. I was singing rent all the time. It's just that, like, there's part of me that's like, man, the system. And then the other part of me that's like, yeah, but also you guys aren't trying. <laughs> the experience of this movie is what to me it was like going to a pizza party with theater kids and they've been hopped up on caffeine and they just wrapped their first show ever. Oh, where they're all at Sherry's doing um, like shots of cream and sugar. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was me. And I'm just like, (laughs) shut up. 
and I and I I don't I don't like hanging out with theater kids in that setting. I had theater kids as friends, but they weren't theater kids when we hung out. We were playing Halo. We weren't doing theater kids stuff. Sure, as as. Somebody who transcends the playing video games, theater kids you, alliance. You, you straddle both lines. Yeah, um, I get it. Like I, I sometimes, in, sometimes theater kids can be a bit much. I, I was in some shows, and I definitely got pulled into some shenanigans. I may have lip synced some the darkness music. You know, I was there too, kind of ish. That's like the coolest thing you could have done in high school. <laughs> was lip synced to the darkness in the dressing room while the the boys were in their whatever clothes. Costumes. <laughs> nice. You can tell that we work in the industry. But but that's. I mean, do you, do you do you get that sentiment that it's it's like being around theater kids? Well, for I mean, a couple yeah. Hours? This is this is like like at this point in time when I was fourteen, I had just come from a school that was a K through eight school that had sixty students in it. Mm-hmm. Very tiny school. And then I just was like catapulted into high school mm-hmm. where um, like there was actual theater and music. And I was like, all these people care about things I care about that other people in my life don't seem to care about. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. So this was like, right. It, it's ripe for theater kids. Yeah. 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 And, and maybe, maybe there's only one target audience and it is theater kids. Sure. And maybe. that part of me that likes that can still get over the failings of this film and enjoy the good parts. Well, that's because the emotions are so high. And I feel like that's what theater kids love the most is like the empowered, pure emotion. Yeah. You say, but again, you're not going to enjoy it unless you can get to the point where this movie capitalizes on it for you. I don't think the storytellers here are disingenuous. So I think there is passion. I just think the craftsmanship got in the way yeah i i agree um we're really in a similar place except i i don't think so no, i'm near a zero star rating and you're in a two and a half i i don't think so i think this is kind of like um okay like let's have ice cream okay like mm-hmm. you and i are both being given some chocolate ice cream i'm lactose intolerant to this movie <laughs> i just basically can't. it's where like i'm eating this and i'm like i'm enjoying all the elements of this mm, and it's tasty oh and it doesn't give me horrible stomach pains and you're like eating this and you're just like i'm getting the runs I'm really bad now <laughs> and but you're like man i really want to eat this chocolate ice cream and i enjoy parts of it but by the time i'm finishing it i'm already sitting on the toilet yeah yeah, what I, I get it. I think I I also would rewrite the first act too to be uh, longer because I think he's Baz Luhrmann is trying to get to Satine as quick as possible. Sure, yeah, where it's just like I'm in I'm in my apartment. I'm writing. Oh no, Argentinian. Oh, okay, you're writing this movie now. Okay, now you're in the elevator. Right, and that's fun, but it's too fast. It's way too fast. It can like be fast. But don't be that fast because we got through like the first what I felt should have been the first act. And it was actually the first 10 minutes. And for being such a fast paced film, the mo- more, vast majority of the film is fast paced. It was a strangely slow movie because well, I checked. It's two hours long. I checked two hours the, and seven minutes. I checked the duration and I was like an hour and a half. Like I wanted <laughs> it to be over. And it was like, how, how can it be so fast paced but be so slow at the same time? And I think it's because they didn't develop the characters in the first act where yeah. I didn't feel like they had set the stage for me very well. Like imagine, imagine if Toulouse, who is John Leguizamo and Mm -hmm. Christian like got to be best friends and like they, they were actually together for, you know, with some clever manipulation um, months. Right. Mm -hmm. And they wrote this show together and it took them months 
Mm-hmm. And then they finally got a chance to pitch it to Satine. Yeah. So that she could show it to Ziedler or something. Yeah. Like, that would be a story. Build up to it. And yeah. I think this works in all other musicals. Like, if you look at Dreamgirls, I'm guessing that's like a two and a half hour movie. Like, I'm, I'm guessing these other bigger musicals can't be done in two hours. And I think there is something about, like, in Romeo and Juliet, he cut it in a way that it was like two hours flat or something because there's some line in the show that's like, we are now going to tell you the story. This takes this much time. Mm. Uh and that so that makes kind of sense. He's like, well, that's the rule. And it's like, no, that's not a rule. You can let it be longer than two hours. He's like, that's the rule. Uh, but Moulin Rouge could have been two and a half hours long, and I would have enjoyed it if it was if it was longer. If sure. it, if it took took its time. Yeah, I I agree. Like I said, if you and I ever get I if if we ever the get to the rom com gents cut of Moulin Rouge, have you seen? The rom-com gents cut of yeah, it. Yeah, we're the Zack Snyder of, of Moulin Rouge. <laughs> it is a different experience. Um, well, Ryan, we've talked a lot about this movie. Um, what was... I, I, if you can if you can force it out, can you give me a... <laughs> rom-com Oscar! Uh, this one's easy. This is so easy. It's best music, like, hands down. <laughs> I'm making my answer, but I'm also going to insert a different thing right now. Well, is it best music or best singing? Because it seemed like you you also didn't quite love the fact that it's a jukebox musical as much. I'm going to say best music, and I'm going to bring this in. I have some quibbles. Oh, is this a quibbles and bits? In this is a this it's is a bit within a bit. It's a it's a bit within a segment. Okay, go ahead. Quibbles and bits. Quibbles and bits. Quibbles and bits. 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 Quibbles and Bits is part of a balanced podcast diet. Please talk to your doctor before listening. Quibbles and Bits is for humans, not dogs. Part of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Uh, I love the music. The only problem... I, I I like the musical selection. I have no qualms against them being unoriginal because it does have that like, ah, I love this song. Mm-hmm. Um, it does kind of take away... It does. This is not my quibble, but when Ewan McGregor starts belting Elton John and Nicole Kidman's like, "Oh my God, you are a, you are a poet," I'm like, "Elton John is the poet." Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing when when he's writing like, "The hills are alive," and it's like, "Okay, look, you're giving him credit for writing this right now, but I know that he didn't." <laughs> but doesn't matter. It's, yeah. it's 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 great music. Sure, sure. Uh My quibble is the dynamic range in this movie is loud. And louder. There's, Wait, what do you mean by dynamic range? There is Are you, none. You're saying technically? I'm, I'm saying dynamics. Piano, pianissimo, mezzo mm-hmm. forte, forte. Everything is in forte. There's a couple of songs where they can be soft for a yeah, while. Yeah, come what may, it goes. There, there is a wide dynamic range, I'd but say, in that song. a lot of the time, it's just really bombastically performed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are times where, like... They are within an inch of each other, and it's just Christian singing at her when he's singing Elton John. And it's just like, I cannot believe her hair isn't being blown back right now. <laughs> yeah, and if this was on stage... But that's op- that's that's opera. But if this was on stage, it has to be like that. That's because, opera, baby! <laughs> because if you're on stage, you have to sing to the, to, the, right. to the back. So it makes sense. But this is cinema. You need to play to cinema. You need to, you need to adapt it to cinema. Well, that's something like uh, that they've especially been toying with i'm not going to say perfected but like if we take something like les mis mm-hmm. um where they're actually singing on set right with, with like i mean i mean that's I'm, why that's why anne hathaway won best picture and it's not necessarily better but it or is best actor it is an acknowledgement that you're, you're you're experiencing this musical cinematically yeah and that's i think that's in the direction because it's it's bosler saying 
not only not only when we're doing the sound mix is this turned up to 11, but it's also I'm telling you to perform this up to 11. Yeah, and a lot of the songs are really great, but there's always that extra layer of unnecessary on top of it. And I'm still giving it best music, mm-hmm. but there's still always this layer of flourish where it's like, you don't need this flourish. The melody is good on its own. Like there's like there's like I think it's the Elton John song where they're bringing in like other choral parts, and I think you have like an opera singer on top of it, like layering over over stuff. I'm like, we don't need this. You uh, you you got the big emotions already. Sometimes I like the opera singing in this movie in, in the yeah. background, and I like the other bits where that does happen. Like the Roxanne song just musically is just the passion. It is. And that, that singer strong, that singer who is Polish playing an Argentinian, (laughs) but, but that makes sense. That makes total motivated sense where it's like, yeah, you got to feel the passion behind it. And it's a tango. You got to have the, the romantic like drama. Yeah. So that's great. So best music. Okay. You know, I just want to piggyback on best music for a second where, um, they're doing the the end of the elephant love medley and they're back inside the elephant. And it's just that like shot where it goes, it's a long shot, so no mm-hmm. editing, but it just goes around them and they're yeah. kind of green screened into it. Yeah. And the whole thing explodes and then comes back together. It's like, it's giving me chills. Descri- like I literally have goosebumps describing it is how that makes me feel mm-hmm. because that musical moment is so good. It feels like what musicals should be. And that's all I wanted from this movie. Yeah. And it was like, a diamond in the rough where it's like that keep doing that <laughs> um what will i give this movie best if i'm not going to take best music like you could really easily give this best um costuming but i feel like i feel like we have so many movies do i want to spend it here better than moulin rouge i mean satine every one of satine's costumes are the kind of costumes you would want like in a display case at a nice museum. Yeah. I really, I really hate like can can dresses are like some of my least favorite things for some reason. It's like, um, orthodox gold. I also dislike <laughs> like when I go into like Russian or Greek Orthodox churches, right. like nothing against your religion or anything, anybody out there. It's just like, there's something about the godliness the of it. Just yeah. It's, it's not my favorite thing. Doesn't gel. But, um, I don't really have anything better because I was going to do best music. So I think I'm going to give best costumes because it just it is undeniably fantastic. Yeah. 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 And that necklace alone, her her diamond necklace. I'm not as impressed by the jewelry as you are. Really? Yeah. That's something that if I was wearing it to a ball, I'd be like, yes, I'm I'm showing it off right now. And then my next move would be to go to the bathroom and take it off and put it in my purse (laughs) because it's just like... as I, I like to move around and like if I was dancing with that thing, inevitably it would hit me into the tooth and like knock out my tooth. Well, let's pretend that you're you're not wearing the the diamond necklace. Let's say it's on this beautiful woman that you're at the dance with. I prefer something a little more subtle. Yes, it is not subtle. No. <laughs> <laughs> um <sighs> You had a thought? No, I was just I mean, I was just thinking about balls. Well, while you're thinking about balls, let me ask you. Who would you fall in love with? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, I love, 
So not the uh, not the woman. I'm sure she has a name in here. I just can't remember it. Um, the the one who looks the most like a drama vamp from the 1920s. Right. She's the one who hints to the Duke that Christian and Satine are sleeping together. Which why? Hey, I we're talking about villains with no backstory. I think Robin was convinced that she was jealous of Satine. I don't think we get that in this movie. That's the only conceivable headcanon reason. Right. And. I, I would have loved, again, to strip some some other stuff out of this movie and give her more of a reason for trying to sabotage this because this is her job too. Yeah. Like she's performing in this show. She's ruining it herself with all of her sabotage. Right. So I I don't understand her motivations, but she's a pill. Um, though, great dancer. And like, yeah. Like there's there's something about the, the sequence in the, um, the Roxanne sequence where mm-hmm. she's dancing that I'm just like, you were made for this dance. Like there's yes. a, something about your body and your style of dancing and your face. That's just like, yes, right now. Yeah. Not her. Um, let's see. Do I want to go with a smoldering temptress or a wilted flower? Christian is naive. <laughs> Satine is less so, but is able to be persuaded. I, you know, I think Satine, I'm going to go with Satine because there's something about her that longs to escape, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like she was born into this world or landed in it somehow. And I think that given the chance to bloom, she would just be an even more wonderful person than we get in this movie. Mm-hmm. I like her. Yeah. Go ahead and say it. Who are you falling in love with? Harold Sidler. I knew it. <laughs> I mean, he seems like a, a, a nice zaddy. If you're looking for that. <laughs> I mean, I would reform him and be like, let's not pimp out these girls anymore. Let's stop selling them on contract. Yeah. It's like, if you are going to, you know, take care of these women, maybe take care of take them. Take care of them. But otherwise, if you want to like put on a good show, I'm right there with you, baby. I think this movie does does a good job of like giving him a chance to be a good guy. Like both when he's kind of Satine, but like that's, there's that moment with the Duke where like the, the Duke is like, you're going to give me what I want. Otherwise um, I won't fund your project. And Ziedler could have said no. Yeah. Like, and they could have just found a different donor who wasn't as evil. Yeah. But that's, you know, operetta stuff. It's like, it's the only one. I mean, it's kind of like when when they're trying to there's the spectacular spectacular sequence, yeah, where they're trying to convince him to like be on board with the play, and I mean, this is something I connected to. I don't know about you, very much as a filmmaker, where they're all trying to convince him to give them money, and they're like, "Plus, you can have artistic license," <laughs> and and he's yeah. like, "Oh, that that sequence, <laughs> pure theater kid, yeah, very pure much so. theater kid." But when we get introduced to Zidler Mm -hmm. and he just kind of like creeps in and then suddenly it's his, it's his movie. Like he's in charge. Yeah. Where he kind of takes over this, this song sequence. Like you think it's going to be Christian that tries to convince, but it's like, he's like, step to the side, kid. I do this on the daily. And when Zidler comes on screen and starts doing his like, like just kind of like doing this kind of like, ooh, come to the Moulin Rouge. Look how great the pretty women are. A magnificent, opulent, tremendous, stupendous. 
Bender's gargantuan bedazzlement, a sensual ravishment. He's enchanting me. I'm just like, yeah, I'm into this. <laughs> All because of Jim Broadbent's performance. Yeah, I, was I mean, just he is totally pulled in. I, I think out of anybody in this movie, he definitely has the most charisma. Yeah. And, and it's great. Like, I, I don't know if he was nominated or anything. I know Nicole Kidman was nominated, um, but I think he should have been his best supporting. Nicole Kidman nominated. I don't see it. I mean, I, I know that she was, but... She did a lot of work to... Um, She's a great diva in this movie. Yeah, well, I, I actually think she does a pretty fine... Like, I don't say fine as in, like, okay. I think she does a good job in this film. Um, I think they asked a lot of her because she's not a professional singer. She had to take a lot of voice act, uh, voice mm-hmm. lessons in order to do this role. And I think that it's obviously that it's obvious that she prepared because mm-hmm. I think her, her voice in this is it sounds like she's a professional singer. And when she's on stage, she has this sultriness to herself that yeah. rivals Lauren Bacall. I'm like, Oh, Oh. Yeah, not only in the diamond sequence, but when like Ziedler or not Ziedler, but when the Duke is like threatening, he's like, you have to make this my performance. And it's like the cat's almost out of the bag after Christian's like, you know, kind of gives away the fact that they he's in love with her. And she just walks down the stage, like holds his eyeline mm-hmm. and is just like, now, why don't you and I have a little supper? And then afterwards, we can let Monsieur Zidler know how we would prefer the story to end. Hmm? She's powerful. Mm-hmm. You're right. Diva's a good word. She's yeah. very powerful. In this. You need a good diva. Like, there's diva is hard to do. So maybe Oscar nominee for that sense, because it's like there's only one Aretha. You know, mm-hmm. there's only one uh, Satine. So uh, that's that's the best part sure. I think she's got going. Sure. Well, uh, Ryan, I think that's it. That's the Moulin Rouge. At the end of this movie, I think another reason why it's hard to be happy at the end of this movie is because it ends sadly. Yeah. Like, you, you kind of see... Sad. I like, wasn't sad. The movie's sad. Satine, she's, she's like, tell our story, Christian. Tell our story. And then she dies. And then <laughs> Christian, like, fulfills this wish of telling her story. But there's no... There's no like satisfaction at the end of that where he's like, you know, I'm going to make sure that the world knows you since like the world never gave you a chance to be known. Like we needed a line like that where Christian was talking to like John Leguizamo or something afterwards. And he's like, I'm going to go let the world know about her. Like something to break our hearts. I don't know where Christian's headed at the end of this movie. I think Christian's headed for the bottom of a bottle probably. (laughs) That's what it looks like anyway. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, next week, I promise you, we're going to have a much slower film. We're watching. We don't even have to roll this time. Whisper of the Heart. Whisper of the Heart. I don't know where people can find it. Otherwise, I'd suggest it right here on air. Uh, I think it's going to be, I think it is on HBO Max, Mm -hmm. or you can purchase it digitally on other platforms, or be like me and buy your Blu-ray. Yeah, it's... (laughs) I, they hey, just literally this week they released a limited edition steelbook. Oh, nice! So, um, so if you're a collector like Ryan, go, go out your, and get it. Go to your Best Buy. Oh wait, you can't because Best Buy is pulling Blu-rays from their stocks. I got a message for you, Best Buy. No thanks, Ryan. You're you're. You got that in writing? No thanks. <laughs> Thx. Do you think that? <laughs> um, 
if anybody knows anybody at Best Buy, like let I them know. I'm not happy. I don't care about this, but like I care about my friends. So just talk to them, get them to contact us. We'll work it out. Um, but next week, I, I highly recommend that if you haven't seen this movie, you go watch it because it is small and quiet and it has teenage love as well, but it's appropriate teenage love because they're teenagers. Cool. I mean, I'm looking forward to the compare contrast. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. Oh, we have a letter this week. Oh, letter. Yeah, I, we almost forgot. Okay, so this letter is from Laura Lee Williams, um, and she said that she recently watched um, Wild Irish Time. Mountain Time. Oh, well, she's typed Wild Irish Time. Oh, I'm hoping it's the same as Wild Mountain Time. I'm pretty sure it's Wild Mountain Time because she says Emily Blunt and Christopher Walken are in it. Yeah. And uh, she said that she watched it on Netflix and um, she doesn't know if it qualifies for our list, but it was pretty and dear. I think Um, it definitely qualifies. I think we should add it to the list because it's not on there currently. Yeah. And Christopher Walken with an Irish accent. I'm curious. (laughs) Gotta know. At Wild Mountain Time, actually, uh, fun fact for any or if anybody wants a... A good song to go listen to. Go look up the long, uh, the longest Johns. They're they're an I believe they're an Irish band and they sing Wild Mountain Time and it is haunting and beautiful. Mm. Uh, well, Ryan, <laughs> I am dying, but I want you to know I love. Mm. Well, I want you to know dead corpse sitting in my lap that the greatest thing in life is to love and be loved and i think i think that's us and this is where we will say goodbye ryan and kelly must bid you adieu thank you for listening to our review Uh, this is a Theo break. Theo threw up in the bed, and so Ryan is going to help his wife clean it. Yep, just sitting here by myself. Just, uh... My eyes are burning because I think I'm allergic to Ryan's cats. Yep. Mm, there's a spider on the wall. Don't come over here, Mr. Spider. Don't come over here, Mr. Spider. Oh, you're coming over here. Is the baby okay? Yep. Good. I just vamped for a while. Everybody was fine. We, we, we're all good here. How, How are, are you? you?